Hello, and welcome back to SciSection. I'm your journalist, Amy Stewart, for the SciSection radio show, broadcasted on CFMU 93.3 FM radio station. We're here today with Tiffany Dang, who is pursuing a PhD in biomedical engineering at the University of Alberta. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Tiffany. Thanks for having me, Amy. All right, so to begin, I want to introduce you to the audience, and I think the best way to do that is to do a couple rapid-fire questions. No, for sure. Fire away. Okay, let's go. Uh, what is your caffeinated beverage of choice, if any? I'm a big fan of tea. I've tried to get into coffee myself, and I feel like it's like a need as a graduate student, but I just can't bring myself because I get too jittery. So like a nice Earl Grey tea in the morning is my favorite caffeinated beverage. That's a good choice. And what is your favorite computer software to take notes, or do you prefer by hand? I'm a mix of both. I prefer taking it by hand electronically. So like a OneNote, a OneNote is what I've like always traditionally used like through my undergrad now as a graduate student that I'll take notes on using like my Surface. It is like my favorite thing ever because now all my notes are kept digitally and now I don't have to go through like books and books and books to find them. And I hate typing. Like I just feel like I learn better by writing. For sure. Yeah, I use OneNote religiously as well. It's my favorite platform. I feel like it's a cult. Like you're either with OneNote or not at all. Are you the type of student to stay up late studying or wake up early and get things done in the morning? I, in the past, have traditionally been someone who stays up late to get things done. I was like more naturally a night owl. And I feel like that's been ingrained in me as an when I was an undergraduate, staying up late to study for finals. But now I'm trying to transition to be a morning person. So like even just this week, I've been in the lab starting at seven, as opposed to coming in for like a 9 a.m. start. I just find like it's so nice because it's quiet. You can see the sunrise, especially in the winter. And so it's just like, I feel more productive when I get up early. Absolutely. It's definitely challenging during the winter though. What is the hardest class you've ever taken? Oh, hands down. I think the hardest class, and this is like a notoriously hard class at, so I did my undergrad at the, at the University of Calgary in chemical engineering, and I specialized in biomed. But the hardest class to date is still transport phenomena. So that's this fourth year chemical engineering course. And I don't know how to describe it other than it's basically a combination of like all your courses in one. And the notation for this class, the math that goes behind it, is notoriously known as JJ math, just because of the prof, Dr. JJ, who teaches it. So it's the hardest class I've ever taken. I think I've never been more afraid of final than walking into his final. And it didn't matter, like, any final after that, that season. I just remember going out to celebrate, being like, I'm done this course. If I pass, it will be a miracle. Yeah, if you could do that, you could do anything, I guess. Honestly, you feel invincible after taking uh, Transport <laughs> Phenomena. Uh, and what was the best class you've ever taken? That's a hard one. Does that include both undergrad and graduate courses? Yeah. Okay. I would say the best course I've ever taken was signal transduction during my graduate studies. And it was taught by actually one of my committee members. And it was a great class. It taught me the fundamentals of signal transduction pathways, which are super useful for me in my research with stem cell bioprocessing. And the prof, who, again, is my committee member, just a great overall prof. I learned so much of that course. And like to this day, I still recommend it highly to like all our new graduate students. I find uh, a lot of people I talk to in my undergrad as well, their favorite classes usually depend on the professor and not even the content of the class. Oh, 100%. It really depends on the prof because they really make or break your experience. All right. Well, thank you for answering those quick questions. Um, now we can get into the actual interview where we're going to talk about some of your research. Uh, so to start us off, tell us about your educational background and what inspired you to pursue your degrees. Yeah, so I did my undergrad at the University of Calgary. And as I mentioned, Amy, I did it in 
um, chemical engineering, but I specialized in biomedical engineering. So I did that for five years before graduating. And I'm still here at the University of Calgary actually doing, um, I started off as a master's in biomedical engineering, but I transitioned to a PhD back in 2021. Oh my gosh. No, 2022. It's been a while. Oh, okay. And I would say I what really got me into the field that I'm in was always an interest in health. And so it even goes back to when I was in high school. I was really unsure of what I wanted to do as a degree following graduation from high school. I just knew that I loved all three sciences equally, like physics, chemistry, and biology. I loved math, and I knew I wanted to do something where I could help people. And at that point in time, I was feeling a lot of pressure from my family being like, oh, you should be a doctor. Like That is like a perfect career path. I feel like a lot of people have parents who are like, you should be a doctor. And for me, I really thought about it, but I wasn't I wasn't sold on being a doctor. I loved research. I had some amazing opportunities as a high school student to get some research experience at a lab in the University of Lethbridge. And I met a, my first mentor who really showed me that I didn't have to be a doctor to help people. I could do that by creating by doing research and developing innovations and new solutions that hadn't been seen using the fundamentals of what I knew best, so all my sciences. And so that actually put me on a path to wanting to do biomedical engineering. A part of it too is I had seen a TED talk when I was looking for careers and I came across one by a biomedical engineer who had developed like this nano patch for vaccines where you could dry coat them. And it resolved a lot of these challenges related to like how do we um, deliver vaccines to hard reaching areas or areas where there might not be refrigeration. I was like, this is such a cool solution. It's solving so many problems and it was grounded in science, but it was trying to solve a real world problem. And so that really propelled me into biomedical engineering. But at the UC, biomedical engineering is not a major. And so I was trying to figure out what I would pair it with. And so that's when I met my current supervisor, actually Dr. Michael Kalos. And he really explained to me like how he uses chemical engineering in his research for the purposes of medical research. So for us, we do a lot of stem cell bioprocessing where you apply those basic principles that you learn in traditional chemical engineering, but towards a health-related setting. And I love that ability to translate all this research from these fundamental areas that we learn, but you're trying to solve real-world health problems. And that has always stayed with me and grounded me. And that's, what I, that's why I'm on this trajectory that I am now. Because like I said, I love research. I love the ability to help people, but I also love the ability to be innovative and to develop new solutions that have never been seen to really solve real world problems as opposed to what I realized looking in hindsight as a doctor you are grounded in research you have all these like new innovations but you're not trying to develop new innovations you're trying to prescribe what is currently known to your patients whereas with biomedical engineering what I love is that ability to recognize a problem and then try to solve it. I, I like the idea of research. It really casts a wide net in what you can do. And like you said, it's it's more for people who like to problem solve, like find a problem and then tackle it. I always felt like it's almost like Star Trek. You're trying to like reach new frontiers in what you're doing and research. You're trying to push what we don't know and the boundaries of what we do know to understand the world around us. And I really love that beauty of like the scientific process. And you're trying to just test iterations of what you think might be a possible solution or a possible like a hypothesis, really. And then you come with new knowledge and everyone's so excited in this field that I'm in about learning from each other about what we know best and like how we can all work together, integrate new solutions. Like it's such a it's like almost like a symphony, honestly. Like you have so many different people in this field who all want what is best for the patients at the end of the day. And we're trying to tackle the problem from many different angles. And that's just something so beautiful, I think. 
your passion for science is so inspiring. Like I could just tell oh, you love it so you. much. I mean, you make something that can like be really scary. I mean, the whole process, like process of coming up and troubleshooting could be very intimidating uh, to oh, a lot 100%. of people, but you make it seem like the best part of it. I feel like the important part is always to remain curious at the end of the day when it comes to research and with science, right? Like we get so lost easily of trying to understand our projects, trying to, like when we work in the lab, on like a nightly, weekly, weekend basis. But at the end of the day, like what really grounds me too is just trying to remain curious. And that's been something that has always stayed with me as well. All right. So I'd like to hear a little bit more about your current research going on. Uh, you kind of alluded that it has to do with stem cells, but uh, yeah, I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, so a little bit about like the pharmaceutical production research facility, which is the research institute that I'm, or I guess the research center that I'm a part of. So our research is mainly focused here in trying to understand how we develop manufacturing processes for stem cells. And so when we think about stem cell and we think about clinical trials, most people are working at a laboratory scale. You know, they're using petri dishes, they're using like flasks in order to generate cells. But when we think about actual cell therapy, we're going to need millions to billions to even trillions of cells per patient per dose. And so that adds up really, really quickly. So instead of like using like, let's say 10,000 dishes or 10,000 flasks in order to generate enough cells for one patient, what we try to use instead is the use of a bioreactor. So a bioreactor is just a very fancy term for a reactor or a vessel where we house a biological reaction. So for our case, it's the growth of stem cells. And so... What my lab tries to do is we try to understand how we can apply our knowledge of like stem cell biology, as well as chemical engineering principles into how we can grow and cultivate and control the behavior of different types of stem cells. And so projects in our lab have ranged from like mesochymostromal cells um, to looking at different types of like animal cells, human cells for different applications like burn injuries, um, COVID-19, like lung inflammation. And then for my project specifically, my applications looking at actually using what are known as human-induced pluripotent stem cells, which is a brand new cell type. Actually, no, I guess it's not brand new. It's been a decade. Oh my gosh. But a new-ish cell type that was discovered in Japan by uh, Takahashi and Yamanaka. And basically this cell is really cool because you can take any like any adult cell and basically convert it back into a stem cell-like um, behavior and then take that new stem cell and then turn it into any cell type in the body. And this is brand new because like with stem cells once you start changing them into certain cell types they will never go backwards only forwards but now we can go backwards to a stem cell and then forward to any cell type it doesn't even have to be the original cell um, that was isolated from the donor and so for my application i'm looking at how we use these cell types which we'll call as ipscs um, for diabetes research and so like with my research specifically, what I'm trying to do in this big area of biomanufacturing is what we call it, trying to develop like a bioprocess basically, or a manufacturing process for biological entities is we're trying to understand how we control the quality. So with iPSCs, like there's such a new field and there's quite a bit of research that's being generated in both the medical and biomedical and health fields. But people are now looking at trying to translate a lot of this research into clinical trials. And so one of the important things to realize, though, is there's a lot of quality outputs that need to be controlled, both when you grow the cells and then when you convert them into other cell types. So my research is trying to understand how the environment, such as like fluid forces, um, may affect the way the cells behave when you grow them, and then how that also translates when they start to be converted into other cell types. Wow. So you really are the bridge from that in lab, like you were talking about in Petri dishes into like in actual clinical trials and applications. You're like trying to bridge the gap there. That's so cool. 
Yeah, it's a, it's really cool being in this area because we work with a lot of people and what is known as the Stem Cell Network, um, which is basically um, an organization that helps coordinate the research and support the research of stem cell researchers across the country. And we work with a lot of people who are like clinicians, general researchers, people who work directly with patients. We work with engineers. So we're kind of like that middle rounds where we are able to communicate with both engineers as well as like researchers and clinicians and stem cell biologists and trying to bridge both areas of knowledge because like you need both to really understand how to develop a biomanufacturing process. It's not as easy as I have a dish of cells and I'm just going to throw them into my bioreactor. There's a lot of engineering that goes into it and there's a lot of things that you can control and a lot of quality that needs to be accounted for. I feel like I, I see that a lot. Um, reading a lot of academic papers, you see all of these examples of um, like in vitro uh, experiments. And, you know, I think it happened a lot during COVID where people would read these papers and they're like, oh, great, let's just do this in humans or let's just scale it up times 10. And that's really not how it works. And it's, it's so interesting to get a window into like how complicated it is and how much work and how many people it takes um, just to get that into something like a clinical trial. Yeah, it honestly takes a village to take like the general like laboratory scale research and to translate it to like manufacturing scales for clinical purposes like like I said Amy like we work with so many different people like we work with people at the hospital here at UFC general researchers like it's crazy the number of people that are involved with the projects that we work with. Uh, so what are some exciting potentials that your research holds and what are the next steps that you're looking to pursue? So I'd say in terms of research potential, my hope is that with my research, we can better understand the quality of our stem cells, specifically in my application IPSCs, and to help kind of provide tools um, that will help with the translation of not just research for like diabetes, but hopefully using the tools we develop and the research that we've learned, that it can be translated to other diseases. So again, like the very exciting thing about like the cell type that I work with is it has the potential to basically come from any donor and you have the ability to make what are known as autologous cell therapy, so patient-specific therapies for a bunch of different diseases because the cell has that potential to change it to any cell type. And like that's one of the biggest issues with stem cell therapy is like sometimes you need like a donor in order to generate the cells to provide to a patient. But with the cell type that I work with, it's so it now provides the ability for your patient to provide the stem cells, and then you change them, genetically engineer them and like convert them into other targeted cell types and reintroduce it back into the original patient. So you no longer have like the immune rejection problem. And so there's huge potential for this research to help with that translation to make it more feasible for us to get to clinical setting and to see like the actualization of stem cell therapies. Yeah, that is super exciting. And it's very cool that you're taking part in that research. Yeah, there's so much research going on in this area because now like with the cell type, it overcomes like a lot of challenges with traditional sources of like this kind of like type of stem cell, which is called just like a pluripotent cell type or pluripotent stem cell, sorry. You can get these cells from like embryonic sources, but obviously there are a lot of ethical and legal implications. And so the use of induced pluripotent stem cells or IPSCs resolves a lot of these challenges as well as the immune rejection problem. So research is kind of like skyrocketing. The number of papers that are published every year just grows exponentially because everyone's excited. Okay, so for my last question, uh, working yeah. in academia and uh, having been a student for I'm sure a while now, uh, yeah. what is the most important non-academic lesson that you have learned? I will say 
I learned this lesson during my undergrad when I was on internship. So I got really lucky and I was able to do an internship in the San Francisco Bay Area for a year at about 10 company. And I had amazing mentors while I was there who really pushed me. And the lesson that has really stayed with me from that time while I was on internship is to be comfortable with the uncomfortable. So in science, we're constantly pushed to like, explore unknown areas to push the bounds of what we understand about the field and so you have to be comfortable with not knowing everything or knowing that your hypothesis might be wrong and you're just going to keep trying and keep exploring because you're just interested in the field and it has also applied for me like this lesson of being like comfortable with the uncomfortable is applied to like even my personal life of going for opportunities that I didn't think that I would get or um, going for papers that I didn't or publishing papers that I didn't think would ever get published or even like going on adventures that I didn't think I would do in the last couple of years like I've had the opportunity to travel a little bit last year and it's so easy to be comfortable in your shell and at home and stay in Calgary for me but traveling just brings you a new perspective and I wouldn't have done that if I wasn't comfortable with the uncomfortability of not knowing where I was going or you know going on exciting adventures. I think that is a very good lesson and it takes a couple failures uh, to get used to you know being uncomfortable you kind of have to take a few falls to, to learn that that's part of the process. University definitely smacks you a little bit. It's a very humbling lesson when you like fail your first couple of times. But I feel like you learn so much more when you do fail than when you do then as opposed to when you succeed. Because there's so many like life lessons that can be learned from those failures. And I've definitely Absolutely. had my like fair share of failures in my <laughs> academic career. Well, thank you so much for joining us uh, today, Tiffany. Uh, like I said, uh, your passion for science is like so obvious and it's so exciting to see someone uh, who wants to help people and make a difference um, and is also doing a really great job at it. Oh, well, thank you, Amy, for having me. I really, really appreciate the opportunity to share my story and to chat with you about everything that I do and my lab does as well. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. Um, that's it for this week of Sci Section. I'm your host, Amy, and make sure to check out our podcast available on global platforms for our latest interviews.